Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. Certainly when you see the stats, it's alarming in and of itself, just the sheer you know, the sheer volume of, uh, of opioids that are prescribed in this state. That is Dr. Mark McGrail. He's the Director of Addiction Medicine Services at Cherokee Health Systems, based in Tennessee. This integrated care system started out as a mental health center, then brought in a primary care component. And now, it is extending its services to include an addiction medicine program. In Tennessee, there were 1.18 opioid prescriptions written per capita in 2015, which is the second most in the entire country. Across the country, every state is battling an opioid epidemic. The CDC reported that in 2015, there were more than 33,000 overdose deaths involving an opioid. This includes the use of illicit drugs such as heroin, but many of those users start with prescriptions, McGrail explained. Since Cherokee opened the doors to its brand new addiction medicine clinic, there has been a steady influx of patients. The majority of a lot of them that I see, the overwhelming majority started with prescription pain medicine, uh, either prescribed for them or using somebody else's, uh, which just supports what we know about how people are obtaining uh, prescription opioids uh, on the street. Uh, and then, you know, many of them then graduate on to uh, other, other uh, opiate use to include heroin. This is not a situation that is in any way unique to Tennessee. Vermont has been struggling with treating opioid addiction throughout the 2000s, according to Barbara Samalio, the deputy commissioner of the Vermont Department of Health. Demand for opioid treatment really picked up starting around 2013. So how did we get here? According to Dr. Kelly Clark, America's societal focus on pills and a need to be without pain were two of the driving forces. A lack of access to quality health care has also been an issue. In Kentucky, where I live in Appalachia, people had no health care insurance and they had pain. Uh, they worked in the mines, they had pain and they had to get to work. And so taking an opioid from their brother or from their mother or from wherever was uh, a way for them to function. Clark is the president-elect of the American Society of Addiction Medicine. And she also said that how inexpensive opioid pills are has contributed to the epidemic. Another underlying issue is that opioids are inexpensive. They're inexpensive to the pharmacy benefit managers. They did not rise up on the list of where costs are and for for, uh, the PBMs to look at where they're having issues. And patients often pay cash for these medications because they are inexpensive. So that would not hit the PBMs. Uh, uh, claim system. In comparison, other ways of treating chronic pain are expensive or have additional barriers. Prescribing opioids has been an easy way to address pain. Dr. Patrice Harris is a psychiatrist and the chair of the American Medical Association's Task Force to Reduce Opioid Abuse. The task force was created because the AMA saw state societies were engaged in individual efforts to reverse the epidemic and thought a task force could help them work together and have a greater impact. She said that the AMA is urging payers to remove barriers to non-opioid and even non-pharmacologic options for treating acute and chronic pain. As I've traveled across the country, I've learned from my colleagues uh, that uh, sometimes they may want to 
prescribe uh, biofeedback or massage therapy or other alternatives uh, to treat pain, but in many instances those alternatives are not covered by insurance or if they are covered, they are covered um, in limited fashion. And so it's critical and important um, that payers uh, are engaged. This was just an anecdote, but I think it's illustrative of the issue of the fact that this was uh, one person who uh, just priced uh, out a a 30-day prescription of opioids versus one visit uh, to the physical therapist and it was $8 versus $140. And so it's critical that we have, you know, a deeper dive and a nuanced and an evidence-based and informed look at uh, some of these issues and make sure that the incentives for non-opioid and non-pharmacologic options are aligned with our desires uh, to reduce um, this epidemic. Other efforts to reduce the opioid epidemic include increased use of prescription drug monitoring programs. These state-run databases track prescriptions of controlled substances and let prescribers and pharmacists see a patient's history with a controlled substance in order to identify and deter drug abuse from at-risk patients. Some states are also implementing limits on opioid prescriptions. Somalio explains that Vermont is trying to prevent people from getting into trouble with opioids in the first place. We have recently um, promulgated new regulations for physicians uh, prescribing opiates for people with chronic pain and also for um, prescribing opioids in an acute medical situation. So we've put a lot more guidelines around the prescribers so that Hopefully, uh, over-prescribing is not as much of an issue, uh, and with less over-prescribing, there are fewer um, pills available to be diverted, uh, either you know for someone to take them out of the medicine cabinet or for them to be diverted and sold on the street. So that is an important area that we're working on with our medical professionals, and that goes along with training to help them understand how to talk to patients about opioids and the risks and how to support their patients. However, there are still countless individuals across the United States who are already addicted. And as McGrail explained, addicted individuals may start with prescription drugs, but once they can't access those, they will move on to illicit drugs bought on the street. States have begun making naloxone, a rescue medication for people who have overdosed, more widely available. Vermont is one state that has a standing order from the health commissioner for pharmacies to sell naloxone over the counter without a prescription. Other states have also implemented such a strategy to make the medication more widely available. Uh, All of our emergency medical providers, our first responders, uh, carry naloxone. We've trained um, most of the law enforcement entities around the state. Many of them carry naloxone. According to Clark, there had been worries that greater access to naloxone might make patients more likely to abuse opioid medications, but that hasn't happened yet. 
But while the uptake in the use of naloxone is important, it begs the question, what happens after a rescue? Clark said that often there is no treatment available or no understanding of what quality care should be in place for these individuals. As a result, people are receiving multiple rescues because they have no way to stay sober. Getting access to medication-assisted treatment for addiction isn't necessarily easy. One of the drugs used to treat opioid addiction is buprenorphine. However, buprenorphine has an artificial cap, as Clark explains. The only medication that physicians have any limit on how many patients they can treat uh, is buprenorphine, and it is only a limit for how many patients a doctor can treat for opioid addiction. Buprenorphine can be used under federal law for pain without any limit on the number of patients a doctor sees. This cap, the buprenorphine cap of 30 patients for the first year of a DEA waiver, 100 thereafter for a year, and then 275 if certain conditions are met, uh, this cap is obviously uh, highly unusual and, and stigmatizing uh, around the, the disease of addiction. But more importantly, there is still stigma attached to addiction, which can make it difficult for people to ask for help. Addiction is a chronic brain disease, but many people don't view it that way. Some think it might be a weakness or a moral failing on the part of the addicted individual. Even within the addiction treatment community, there is stigma as they think treatment is temporary until the addict can graduate onto something else, like counseling, to get over their issues. Addiction is still being thought of as an acute problem that people can just get over. I believe there has been some advancement in fighting stigma uh, about substance use disorders and addiction, but we have a very long way to go. Addiction is a chronic brain disease, and as with all brain diseases, we tend to historically view them not as diseases. Uh, so people with epilepsy, people with Parkinson's disease, people with psychiatric disorders, through our cultural time, we thought of as as cursed or or possessed or uh, or somehow frightening to us, and, and somehow it might be their fault that they're manifesting these behaviors. Uh, we've made a great deal of progress in neurological diseases, uh, and we've made a great deal of progress in in uh, mental illnesses, psychiatric diseases, like schizophrenia or Alzheimer's disease. Uh, but we have a long way to go in fighting stigma with addiction. And yet, the fact that people are talking about opioid addiction is a great sign. At McGrail's clinic, the number of patients being treated is growing rapidly as news of the clinic spreads by word of mouth. Surely, people wouldn't tell friends and family about treatment if they didn't want people to know they had the disease. Harris added that awareness is one of the first steps in reducing stigma. I do think folks coming forward and sharing their personal struggles, and I'm sure that is not an easy thing to do, but uh, those folks who have come forward, both family members and the patients, uh, have helped in the past to reducing stigma, but we still have a, a long way uh, to go, but certainly... Um, there are more folks who are talking openly about their struggles, and that is an important uh, first step. Ultimately, 
The epidemic is such a serious issue in the United States that it is going to take a lot of different stakeholders working together to reverse the epidemic. This crisis, as with most other public health crises, requires an all-in public health approach. And by that I mean all of the stakeholders have a responsibility uh, to end this epidemic. So clearly physicians are certainly taking on our responsibility and making sure that we are looking at our role to play in ending this epidemic, but we also uh, need, and this epidemic also requires that uh, legislators, both on the state and federal level, are involved. Community-based uh, organizations uh, have a role. Uh, certainly, um, patients and the general public uh, has a role, particularly when you talk about storage and disposal. Law enforcement uh, clearly um, has a role in some cases. And the payors uh, absolutely have a role. So this is an all-in situation. Physicians have accepted our role, but uh, this epidemic will not end unless all of the stakeholders are involved. This has been Laura Jost with the American Journal of Managed Care. Thanks for listening.